Welcome to Sustainability Leaders. I'm Michael Torrance, Chief Sustainability Officer with BMO Financial Group. On this show, we will talk with leading sustainability practitioners from the corporate, investor, academic, and NGO communities to explore how this rapidly evolving field of sustainability is impacting global investment, business practices, and our world. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Today's episode is part two of a two-part series from a recent BMO Real Estate Forum around building a sustainable future, hosted by Mike Begg, BMO Senior Vice President and Head Real Estate Finance, and moderated by Carla McCarthy, Head Income Property Finance for BMO Commercial Bank Canada. Listen to what Brent Gilmore, Chief Commercial Officer, Canada Green Building Council, and James Burrow, Director of Sustainable Finance for BMO Capital Markets, had to say about carbon strategies and retrofits. Greetings, everyone. I'm Mike Begg, SVP and head of BMO's Commercial Bank Canada real estate finance team. Thank you all for joining us today. We are excited to be joined by industry leaders who are actively involved in Canadian commercial real estate and have perspective on key sustainability topics and the outlook for what's ahead. Okay, let's get started. Brent, could you perhaps give us a quick summary of the Canada Green Building Council and comment on what, if any, energy efficient regulation we can expect to see over the near term and what building owners can do to anticipate it? How quickly is this moving and is this something owners should be planning for now? Thank you. Uh, Carbon has value now. And it's going to be impacting real estate decision-making as we go forward. Uh, So at CAGBC, we're seeing that firsthand. As an industry-driven nonprofit, we're working with engineers, architects, and designers to builders, manufacturers, real estate professions, owners, tenants, and policymakers and advisors, really to enable Canada's building sector to implement on their sustainability efforts. Uh, We're seeing a significant uptake now uh, for large building um, developers and owners uh, with some 200 plus buildings registered to become zero carbon uh, just in the last six months. Uh, But we're also seeing a real interest in learning about what zero carbon net zero emissions really means uh, for buildings uh, with thousands of people coming forward and going ahead, uh, trying to seek training and insight on what does this mean for decision making. But we're also now increasingly seeing a real change in the regulatory space through our advocacy and government affairs efforts. The market has shifted uh, when it comes to thinking about sustainability, but particularly as it relates to ESG and reporting. Uh, This is due to what we heard is a wide variety of drivers and, and market needs. Maybe this expectation now for carbon disclosure, whether driven by investors, occupiers, or regulation is really starting to enable people to think differently about how they're going to have to act now in terms of expectations for decarbonizing uh, with their assets going forward and how they can do that through green building. And it's the latter on the disclosure and and regulation that I think is really driving a lot of this conversation, both for new, but increasingly on existing buildings, particularly large buildings. You know, we have nearly 500,000 plus large buildings across Canada. They make up something like 50 megatons of emissions on GHGs going forward out of uh, the overall nature of emissions for the building sector. 
But at the same time, we're seeing less than a 1% deep energy retrofit rate. So in order to hit 2050, if you've been listening to these objectives of net zero emissions, you need to be about 3 to 5%. That's a significant gap. So what's on the horizon that's guiding and informing investment decision-making about uh, just about everything, federal? <laughs> uh, we're seeing a lot going on here in the next uh, little while, particularly the federal government is increasingly focusing and driving its policy and program efforts to crowd in private investment wherever it can. Uh, case in point, they are launching and will um, uh, announce their green building strategy, uh, formerly referred to as the net zero emission strategy. Uh, it is a unifying narrative across the federal government and how it's going to support this net zero transition. Expected releases in the fall following the budget. And so we can anticipate a set of uh, new funding in this space. Uh, but I think what we're really hearing, though, is that you're seeing a lot of calls to facilitate and fund the retrofit of large buildings. Uh, you're seeing there uh, the importance of the uh, deep carbon uh, retrofit accelerator that was just launched, 185 million to help those who like to aggregate other building owners and operators already, pull them together to advance uh, the potential for a deep carbon retrofit. But we're also seeing, as was announced now last year, or the year before, pardon me, the Canada Infrastructure Bank's building retrofit initiative. That was the $2 billion set to, to help crowd in private sector capital, uh, starting at $25 million. That's really starting to move. Uh, and you just continue to see these investments about what can move people to retrofit. And most recently, the commitment by the government of Canada for a 30% clean technology investment tax credit tells you that they are not letting up on what they think they can or need to do um, in response to the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. But we won't stop there. Uh, we're seeing really strong regulatory signals forthcoming, uh, particularly with things that matter to those who are uh, assembling land today who are giving thought to what might be required in the future only in 2025. Uh, we know the National Building Code in 2025 uh, will uh, be adopted by provinces with 18 months. Why is that? Well, this, this past year, there was a reconciliation agreement among all the provinces and territories in the federal government on construction codes to bring those into alignment before 2025 as much as they can. And in 2025, they're going to introduce new things, such as met metrics and some stringency uh, now on operational carbon. That wasn't there before at all. That's a big leap in the codes community. And I think for a lot of us who deal with buildings, um, and it will go well beyond energy efficiency. In 2030, they expect to introduce carbon in, uh, embodied carbon, which you started hearing a bit about uh, from Tridel as well. And you have provinces like BC, who are just ratcheting up still um, what the level of the uh, building code might be through their own step code process. But what might be a bit more of a shocker uh, in terms of what we're seeing move so quickly is the standards and performances. Um, that is really happening at the local level, often with permission or endorsement or by uh, legislative enactment of provinces on the disclosure of carbon. So in Vancouver, effective now, in 2024, annual energy and carbon reporting for large commercial multi-unit residential buildings will be required. That's only gonna ratchet up every year in terms of the size of buildings that are expected to have to report, but also if you're an existing building, what you're gonna to have to do so you don't get penalized uh, in terms of your carbon um, going forward. The similar is in Montreal. Um, now we're seeing that all buildings, new or existing, will have to affix a carbon label, A to F, 
F, your net zero, F, you probably don't want to be in that level um, going forward. All of this is going to be changing the mindset of the real estate community. I think increasingly, um, even going further in Montreal, on all existing non-commercial buildings that are rated F, that are over 160,000 square feet, they have to start within four years. How do they get the next level? So there's expectation to move. So what do you do about all of this? Uh, if you are in this space, well, let's get right to it. If you are, every new large building going forward really ought to be zero carbon right now. Because if you're not, you're going to be expected to be there at some point between now and 2050, and it's going to cost you a lot more to get there later. And you're dealing with the portfolio level of buildings. The reality is they'll have to be retrofitted to lower carbon performance sometime between now and 2050. And that transition cycle, you might only have one, maybe two chances at best to do that in terms of being a cost effective. And so we can't encourage owners and operators and investors enough about focusing on transition planning and targeting your investments carefully, particularly when you're going to have to make those capital investments. So the number one suggestion right now, where is carbon in your transition plan for your assets? And if it's not there, it needs to be there soon. Thank you. Thanks very much, Brent. That was a lot of great information. James, Mike mentioned that BMO intends to lead by example with our own products and services. Can you expand on how BMO is practically doing so? I'd be very, very happy to, Carla. Thank you. I think first of these is the um, retrofits kind of platform or financing ecosystem that we are developing. So I think this ecosystem or platform is designed to, to solve a couple of market frictions. The first of these is, is the availability of the, the right type of debt to finance retrofits. Um, and the second of these is is the difficulty, you know, would be retrofitters have in actually piecing together retrofits in a seamless way. So I'll, I'll start with the the debt. I think traditionally, in, in many cases, retrofits, particularly deep retrofits that have a fairly aggressive carbon reduction profile, which is what everybody's really looking for, they tend to have longer paybacks, you know, in excess of ten or fifteen years. But debt would typically be term debt that would only be available to be amortized over, say, five years. So, you know, you have quite short-term debt with long-term paybacks, which means from a, you know, a short-term cash flow perspective, that's a, that's a pretty difficult kind of debt obligation for a lot of developers to, 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 to take on. The other thing is really price, especially in these uh, environments where interest rates have gone up over, you know, kind of 400 basis points uh, over the last year. The, 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 the cost of debt is really not very cheap at all, uh, especially at the moment. So I think you know, with our retrofits platform, we're looking to do to, to address both of those um, frictions, the, the, the price and the term of the, the debt. So the, the final piece there I mentioned is is the, the difficulty of actually executing these um, projects, particularly for smaller building owners with less um, kind of uh, developed uh, sustainability capabilities or, or contracting capabilities. And we've actually signed partnerships with energy services companies to be able to deliver retrofits in in a very seamless way alongside BMO. So maybe I can just speak a little bit about why I think borrowers, why I think BMO's clients need to be thinking about retrofits now, and a little bit about the product that we've designed to help them. So I think firstly, decarbonization is, is, is coming. GHG intensity regulations are coming this decade. The city of Vancouver, for example, has, has implemented 
GHG intensity targets for larger building owners from 2026 onwards. And what I mean by GHG intensity targets are saying that per square foot of building space which you own, you will only be able to emit a certain amount of, of, of carbon dioxide. Um, so in other words, you're going to be there's going to be a cap on the amount of GHG emissions building owners can 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 emit. Um, and if they breach that, fines will be coming. You know, that's what Vancouver are looking at, Toronto and Montreal are too, and some of the smaller Canadian cities will, will will also be following. So as you think about those regulations that are coming in the second half of this decade, and think about the the net zero targets that a lot of building owners are setting you know, for 2050 or even earlier. For example, the city of Toronto has actually set a 2040 net zero target for all, all private buildings in the city, um, is, is that capital planning for building owners must be sequenced very, very carefully. So, for example, if your natural gas furnace is reaching the end of its life in 2025, and it has a remaining economic, and a new furnace will have a remaining economic life of 25 years, say, that means that that new furnace will last till 2050. Well, if you have a decarbonization plan and you want to hit net zero or you need to hit net zero or under emissions caps, you just won't be able to have a gas-fired furnace. You know, you will have to convert to a heat pump. So you're going to have a major problem if you've got to strip out that gas furnace 10 years into its economic life. It's effectively going to become a stranded asset and a, and a, and a big loss for, for the building owner. So you're at a fork in the road. You replace like for like, probably not. You have to, you know, so, so you have to start thinking about different decarbonization technologies like heat pumps, which are widely available on the market now and, and, and you know, maturing rapidly, if not already pretty mature in a lot of jurisdictions. Finally, I guess the other reason why now is the time to start is because incentives are available for early movers. You know, Canada Infrastructure Bank has put its very cheap money out in the market, which we can help channel to clients, and I'll come to that in a minute. Uh, and, and there are lots of other, other you know, incentives at the provincial and, and the, the municipal levels for people who are doing retrofits. I guess the opposite of incentives are... are you know, almost the penalties for operating a more carbon intense model. And the big one there is that is the federal carbon price, which is going to hit $170 a tonne in 2030. You know, so if if, if you're emitting more than a thousand tons of GHGs each year, that carbon is going to have an impact. That carbon price is going to have an impact in, in the range of hundreds of thousands of dollars for building owners each year. Um, so how is BMO positioning to, to support our clients as they think about making this transition? I think number one is we're the only Canadian bank in partnership with Canada Infrastructure Bank that allows us to structure our retrofit debt around CIB's deeply discounted you know, impact capital, uh, which is typically priced between 2 and 5%. So we can actually channel that CIB money out to our clients at those very, very low rates, between 2 and 5%, to, to help them do retrofits. And I guess the interesting thing about that money is it is linked to GHG reductions. So the more the, the, the greater greenhouse gas reductions a client manages to do, the cheaper the pricing on that debt becomes. I think there's lots more details uh, about the product that, that make it interesting, including how you know we can actually reduce some of the fees that we charge for for project sponsors who are who are striving for ambitious greenhouse gas reductions. 
looking at how we can increase the amortization period on the mortgage, uh, which will refinance the retrofit debt, and looking at how you can take the equity out, take equity out of the building, so free up cash for building owners who have done these retrofits, because effectively a retrofit makes a more valuable building, meaning that it's more lowly levered, uh, or is in relative terms there's less debt on the building, so, so you can take some of that leverage out in terms of equity freeing up cash for the building owner. So yeah, I think we have a really unique, really differentiated offering that that you know none of the other Canadian banks are doing at the moment. Honestly, I hope they follow suit. The more money that it's getting out there to to decarbonize the economy, the better. But we are proud to be leading the way in this area. So yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the BMO product and why we're looking to do it. I think the second one uh, example is something that we have announced um, recently, and that was the acquisition of Radical, now known as BMO Radical, and. Radical is a company that offers us deep capabilities in carbon markets, namely the ability to trade carbon credits, the ability to create carbon credits, and the ability to advise our clients um, on emissions footprinting. So what that means for real estate clients is if if you don't necessarily know where to start with your sustainability journey, like a great place to start is to understand what the profile of your own emissions is or are. Bema Radicals Emissions Footprinting Services will be able to work with you, you know, to, to, to do that. Once that initial emissions footprinting um, baseline is set, we're then able to advise on strategies to, to decarbonize in, in a way that is timed and cost efficient and, and kind of integrated into your business plan. And we're able to integrate kind of carbon credit trading and, and the purchase of carbon offsets uh, into that plan as well. The idea being that you should strive for as, as, as many you know, real-time material reductions in your carbon emissions as possible, because there is no substitute for just real you know, um, reductions in emissions. But for those emissions that you can't um, reduce yourself, you're able to buy offsets on the voluntary carbon markets. So I think that the retrofits platform and our acquisition of Radical are two good examples of, of how we're innovating and how we're seeking to kind of lead and, and be our client's lead partner to a, to a net zero world. Great. Thanks very much, James. So Brent, maybe I'll direct this question to you. As regulatory and stakeholder expe- expectations shift and evolve, can we expect to see impact on demand for certain properties and property value? Thank you. I think the short answer uh, is yes. So the question might be, how do you have that certainty with so much uh, understanding what's going on in the marketplace? I think if one were just to take a look at what's happening with carbon disclosure and expectations on getting a label, that will affect perception, but also value, uh, both in both outcomes. The question is when and how fast is carbon valuation entering into new and existing. At the end of the day, it's starting to take off on its own. How much carbon is in that building and what is its value? And I think the way we're seeing this now in terms of play out in the marketplace, it's still very early. And I think people should have regard for that in terms of what the implications are, the uh, level of comfort of those who are doing that valuation uh, and going forward. But for instance, we did some work with JL and CHBC, and we asked asset owners and investors uh, what that uh, cap rate, the premium might be, uh, willing to pay on a net zero carbon asset. And this is where people started to care uh, a little bit more. And so the response in these kinds of understandings is you're starting to see, if you're thinking basis points, you know, maybe up to 25 or more, the compression factor, meaning in a traditional non-net zero carbon building, it was estimated that at a 5% capitalization factor, um, that cap rate, you know, what people are willing going to pay for a net zero carbon equivalent would be about 4.75%. So what does that translate into? 
maybe a 5% premium in terms of value uh, that you might see going forward already today. And that was just based on the handful of buildings that are exchanging in the market sector in Canada already. And so I think as time evolves, you can assume that this would just grow. And I think as local markets expect or require you to disclose your carbon, someone's going to put a value on that and it'll find its way into your transaction. It's just a matter of not when, um, maybe so much as um, how <laughs> that transaction is going to start to value carbon. Okay, thanks very much, Brent. So with respect to managing risk relating to climate change and decarbonization, there are a number of underlying things that don't necessarily jump out, such as increased demand for certain materials and increased costs, for example, adding electrical capacity. Are there certain things people should be thinking about now and planning for? Yes. Uh, as you think about the trade-offs of costs coming forward in embodied carbon and materials. And so what you're starting to think about there is, um, can you start to see, and I'll give it three ex quick examples, in terms of what you might be purchasing, um, there is the requirement for the importance of declaring. So these EPDs that are on materials, the way you can know what's in a material and its carbon. These are things you're gonna have to pay more attention for in terms of being able to do your whole life cycle costing. Uh, potentially for a building going forward and understanding where those trade-offs might be as an example. Other examples that you're going to have to continue to work through and and uh, depending on the types of energy systems that you're connecting to and what you're using and what you want to do on site versus what might be provided by a utility uh, could incur additional costs, uh, particularly if you're trying to focus on uh, aspects, say it is electrification, you may not have been anticipating the need to uh, have to pay or uh, incur the costs of the upgrade to the grid to your building and those associated costs with other installations of equipment. Uh, these are things that people are starting to realize that weren't there before might now need to be. And so as you go through, it's again about trying to uh, ensure you have a complete picture of what that looks like uh, as you go to cost out, whether it's new or if you're dealing with a retrofit of existing buildings, what are the options that make the most cost-effective sense relative to your carbon leadership objectives you're trying to also achieve? So I think the word balance uh, is really critical, but it's also transition planning. So looking to see when the timing might be best for when to invest is increasingly critical. And I'll just add here something that James really uh, emphasized in his response to timings and the various um, new products coming from BMO. Not everything is going to be uh, achieved on day one uh, in terms of when you can move forward. Buildings don't work that way if it's existing. They're not uh, designed as a linear uh, point A to point B. Uh, think of it as more step. It might make more sense to think about your windows at one point, uh, just because they're coming up in terms of their life cycle. It might make more sense to focus on your mechanical system at another time, but you have to have the complete picture to be able to act and to get the best pricing, the best construction results, and the best opportunity, uh, whether it's for your investor or for those that are providing support. And so again, having that capital plan in place takes the shock factor out, allows you to better prepare for your pricing, uh, benefit from the cost savings that come through, not just from the aspect of energy savings, which are significant as we think about these, as costs go up for those sources, but also from the unknowns as continuation of carbon valuation goes, whether it's through carbon price as it is today and continue to go up, but also future things that we don't know about. And I think uh, excellent example in resiliency. You can't always anticipate the true costs that are coming forward when things are disrupted. 
uh, whether it's in the operations of your building and putting that together as your overall valuation of what you're trying to accomplish and the trade-offs within all of them, because they all come down to a cost, uh, really helps you put into perspective the picture of what, what is maybe a brown discount and what is ultimately the bottom line that you need to try and protect yourself from going forward. And that is all the time we have today with our panel. Thanks for all the great insights on this important topic. And I'm going to pass it back over to Mike. Thank you very much, Carla. It's still very early days in ESG and the evolution between banks and their clients. But if nothing else, we hope that today's speakers may have helped inspire you to have an ESG strategy if you don't, or further build on the one you have. On behalf of BMO, we want you to know we're thinking of you your families, and your organizations. Thanks for listening to Sustainability Leaders. This podcast is presented by BMO Financial Group. To access all the resources we discussed in today's episode and to see our other podcasts, visit us at bmo.com forward slash sustainability leaders. You can listen and subscribe free to our show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider, and we'll greatly appreciate a rating and review and any feedback that you might have. Our show and resources are produced with support from BMO's marketing team and Puddle Creative. Until next time, I'm Michael Torrance. Have a great week. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of Bank of Montreal, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This is not intended to serve as a complete analysis of every material fact regarding any company, industry, strategy, or security. This presentation may contain forward-looking statements. Investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on such statements as actual results could vary. This presentation is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not intended as an endorsement of any specific investment product or service. Individual investors should consult with an investment, tax, and or legal professional about their personal situation. Past performance is not indicative of future results.